We're talking about lost and found. We're talking about when we recognize in our own life that we're lost and Jesus finds us. In John chapter one, if you go there in your Bible and you follow along with where I'm headed today, you're gonna begin to understand that John the Baptist is coming through the countryside. He is teaching, he is talking to the people, he is baptizing people with water, and he is also kind of dressed weird and he eats weird food. Have you ever met anybody like that? He was a guy that was kind of like that and he was walking through the, through the area and so he had some real close followers. Andrew was a close follower. John was a close follower that writes the Gospel of John. There would be several of these who were considered his disciples. Jesus has not yet emerged onto the ministry scene yet. So John is kind of talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So they ask, are, are you, are you, you the Messiah? Are you a prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you, they're trying to figure out who he is. And he said to them, no, I'm not, I'm not that one, but there's somebody coming after me. He is so incredible. I, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And so he says, he's coming after me and he's the one that's gonna be the Messiah. And so one day they see Jesus walking along and John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is saying he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one from God. He is the one that God himself has appointed to be the Messiah, the savior of the world. Andrew, John, they, they leave John the Baptist and they go over and start following Jesus. And when they started following Jesus, they're going along behind him and, and Jesus knows they're behind him and so he turns to them and he says, what do you guys want? And they say to him, we wanna know where you're staying. We wanna know who you are. We wanna know everything that you're about because we believe that he has just said you're the Messiah. We believe that's who you really are and here we are to follow you as the Messiah. So they began to question Jesus and they like what Jesus says. They like their time with him. Whatever was said, whatever was done, we don't have that all recorded for us, but they like it. Because immediately it says, immediately, Andrew gets up from this occasion and he goes and he finds his brother Peter, Simon Peter, and he finds him. Now they were fishermen, so he goes and finds him somewhere and he says something to him. It says the first thing he did, he finds his brother and he says, we have found the Messiah. And Peter was very interested in this. He wanted to know what this meant. And that brings us to our passage today, where we are and we're going to look as the Gospel of John chapter one presents four truths about Jesus that show us how Jesus can transform any life that believes on him. And the first truth we look at is this, everyone is looking for Jesus. You and I, when we get hungry for steak and potatoes and a salad, and warm bread will not be satisfied if we sit down and eat a bag of chips. Anything we try to put into this void in our life where God only can fill is like eating a bag of chips. It won't fill it. It might feel good, it might kind of be distracting, but it won't be filling. We go for power, we go for fame, we go for recognition, we go for money, we go for titles, we go for sex, we go for drugs, 
We go for things. We go for all kinds of stuff that we think might be able to fill that spot, but there's only one thing that can fill that spot, and that is the one who has created us because he created that spot within us to be filled only by him. And he can fill it. He can fill it entirely. So everybody is looking for Jesus. I have a friend who began working for uh, uh, another lady, and as she began working for this other lady, the lady was 70 years old. And the lady said, I kind of have a requirement. You cannot mention the Bible. You cannot talk about God. You do not talk about Jesus. Other than that, we're good. My friend is a Christian. And she says, okay, no problem. I won't talk about Jesus. I won't talk about the Bible. And I won't talk about God. No problem. Somewhere along about year 17, when the lady's 87 years young, she says, I want to know why you're so happy and why I'm so crabby. I'm just, I'm just sad in life. My friend said, well, you don't want me to talk about God and you don't want me to talk about Jesus and you don't want me to talk about the Bible, but if you're okay if I talk about them, then I'll tell you why I'm so happy. <laughs> And her friend said, okay, go ahead and tell me about him. What's, what's the deal? She began to share how she confessed her sin to Christ. Christ came into her life, filled that God-shaped void in her life. And when he did that, he changed everything about her life. Changed her attitude, the way she thinks, the way she approaches life. Affected her morality, affected her mindset, affected everything that she does. The lady now, 87, sits there and says, I think I want that. She said, you're sure you want that? She said, yes, I want that. Let's go ahead and I'll help you receive Christ right here together. And right there together, that old, older lady opened up her, I started to say it, old lady. She opened up her heart to Christ and let him come in. My friend said, the years following that, said she was so different, she was so changed, she was so new. Everybody is looking for Jesus. Let's say that together. Everybody is looking for Jesus. Nabil Qureshi, though I did not meet him, I had hoped to get him to our church. He passed away at about age, I think, 37. He's in his 30s somewhere. Young man with stomach cancer. But he's a wonderful guy. Now, he grew up in the Islamic faith. I'm not bashing. I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm just giving his story because he gave it. He had a Christian friend, and they began to compare the faith and their books, the Quran versus the Bible. And as they compared their books, Nabil was very impressed because this Christian actually knew his Bible. Many have a Bible, don't have a clue about it. This one actually knew his Bible. He read it. He studied it. He lived it. Now, if you understand anything about Islam, dreams are very important. As a matter of fact, dreams help guide their life. One particular dream is called Ramani. The Ramani dream is the foundational dream which will allow you to dream truthful. It is the foundation of, of, your, of your story and of your situation. So as you allow yourself to dream and then you wake up, you begin to realize you had a dream and you understand that it means something and so you embrace that as truth. Nabil was having these dreams and as he had these dreams, he didn't know exactly what they meant and where they were all coming from. So he talks to his Christian friend and he starts describing him. And his friend realizes God is coming to Nabil in his dreams and giving him the parables of the scripture, the teachings of Jesus. 
And he says, if you'll open your Bible to this page and to this chapter and you'll read this, this is exactly what you just had a dream about. And this is what it means. And he's like, wow. Eventually, as you know his story, he opened his heart to Christ and he said the great pivotal passage in the scripture for him is Romans 10 and 9. Listen to what it says about your creator and mine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's declaring it with your life, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that's your very essence, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What are you going to be saved from? You're going to be saved from the way you were thinking, that God wasn't important, he was irrelevant. You're going to be, you're going to be saved in the sense that he's going to redeem your life. You're also going to be saved from an eternity separated from God. This is what he's saying. You will be saved. Everybody is looking for Jesus. About three weeks ago, we had a group of 57 teens go off to camp. They were joined by a lot of other teenagers. And while they were all at this camp, they had a lot of fun. They had a lot of time to get together and interact and have fellowship. And they also had Bible studies and they had church services that they went to. So it was an all around wonderful time. When they came back home, they told us that there were 40 or 50 of them that rededicated their life to Christ. And they said there were four of them, the young people, that prayed for the very first time to open their life to receive Jesus Christ. Everybody is looking for Jesus. The second thing I want to share with you is in verse 41. Jesus is worth sharing with everyone. He's worth sharing with everyone. Andrew realized this. And he says, wow, I've just discovered this. And he did like the little kid song. He didn't hide it under a bushel. No, he was going to let his light shine, right? And so he goes to his brother and he finds him. He knows his brother is bombastic, loud mouth. He knows his brother is a businessman. He knows these things about Peter. They've grown up together. But the Bible says the first thing he did, the biggest priority he had, the thing he didn't want to miss, the thing he wanted to make sure he did, he wanted to go to his brother. And there it was that he shared with him, we have found the Messiah. Peter was interested in knowing about this because they had heard about the Messiah since they'd been little kids. They had met up with people who thought they may have been the Messiah. But in these moments here, there's something different and unique about what Andrew is saying to him. Peter is very interested in what he's heard. We have found the Messiah. It's kind of like getting that phone call, that text, that email, that conversation that changes your life. It changed his life. And he began to realize, I don't know a lot about him, but I'd like to know more about him. I want to know more about him. You see, Jesus is worth sharing with other people. In your bulletin, you have an insert, and it's telling you that in September, on the 24th, that there's going to be from the Billy Graham Crusade organization, from Billy Graham uh, organization, there's going to be a, a one-day crusade over at the Allentown Fairgrounds. And Franklin Graham is going to be able to deliver a message of hope and forgiveness. And it's going to be a wonderful opportunity. And our church is participating along with many, many other churches in our region to be part of this. And so some of you sitting here today, you have a friend who would never come to church with you. They would have no interest in coming to church with you whatsoever. They think you're a little weird and odd for going to church. You may be weird and odd, but 
not because you go to church, okay? I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I don't know, you know. But <laughs> keep moving, Kev. Okay, I will. All right, so here we go. We're moving on now. But you have a friend, but they might go to that type of an event. And they might be able to find what they're looking for in that place. Jesus is worth sharing. And then there's a third thing I want to point out. Jesus can transform anybody. Look at verse 42 of your passage. Dr. Adrian Rogers, great preacher. I still listen to some of his messages. I think he had something to say then and now both. He said this, it's not a good heart we need. It is a new heart. It is a new heart we need. We need to be changed in our mind. We need to be changed in the way we live. We need to value God's truth and not our own truth or the truth we maybe have grown up with. We need to value God's truth. And Peter meets up with Jesus and Jesus looks at him. He looks at him as he is. He looks at him with all of his questions. He looks at him with all of his sins. He looks at him with all of his past baggage. And he looks at him and he says, I see something wonderful. I see someone I can work with. I see someone in whom I have much hope and much future. And he does the same thing when he looks at you. And he does the same thing when he looks at the other people around you. He has a lot of hope for you. Max Lucado, when he was talking about Peter in his writing I read this week, he said this. He made his living, Peter did, with his hands, but he got in trouble with his, with his mouth. He needed God to touch his very mouth the way he was looking at life. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are Simon, son of John. But he says, I see a future in you that is brighter than you understand today. And when you allow me to work in your life, over time, I'm gonna transform you into a solid rock. And Jesus, right on the spot, renames him Rocky. He names him Peter, which means rock. And right there, Jesus is transforming him and saying, I'm gonna do something great. Now, Peter didn't all of a sudden know everything. As a matter of fact, one time, even after following Jesus, he goes up on a mountain, the New Testament talks about it. He's up on this mountain, and while he's there, it's called Mount Transfiguration. It's there where they, they have Jesus, and then you have Moses. Moses, God took him, so he didn't die and, and bury like we, we do. And then you have Elijah from the Old Testament. He was taken up in a whirlwind, so he didn't die and bury like we do. So you have these three, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, you have Peter, and here we are up on the mountain. Peter sees this, and all of a sudden he's thinking, let's build three tabernacles up here. He's excited about that. Building program, we got something going on up here. And then God says, because Peter can't know when to shut up, God sends a voice out of heaven, and he says, you got it wrong. I'm paraphrasing. You got it wrong. You know what he says? Moses is not equal to Jesus. Elijah is not equal to Jesus. But our passage was asking, are you Elijah to John? Are you, are you, who are you? Nope. None of those guys, he says of Jesus, he says this, Jesus is elevated above everyone else. He is the one that I've appointed. He is my son, he says, and he is the one in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, he's the apex of it all. Jesus can transform anyone. And Peter began to understand, oh my goodness. And so when Jesus gets with Peter after Peter denied Jesus, been following him a while, but at near the cross experience, he denies Jesus three times. You remember that. 
Jesus talks to him and he calls him Simon, doesn't he? That represented his old life. That represented who he had been. That represented what he had done. Afterwards, he refers to him as Peter. And he's referred to as a solid rock. You see, over time, God is patient with us and he changes us and he develops us into the person he wants us to be. And he can do that with you. You say, Kev, I've done so many things. I've been so many places. I I don't even know if I'm going to be able, I don't even know if God would accept me or if God would take me. You remember King David? Remember when he was a little dude and he takes that stone and sling and nails Goliath? First time anything like that entered Goliath's mind. And he fell down. And David killed, finished him off. He was knocked out, I think, on the way down. He lands. He whacks his head, finished him off, brings his head back in, says, here I am. Man, he was a hero. Parade. This guy is bad to the bone. He's the main man. He was cool. David was king. Polished that crown up a little bit. Stayed home instead of going to war. And you know what he did? He saw a lady over on another roof, and he said, oh, my stars. And he sent his guards to get her, and then he has adultery with her. And then he realizes, she, she's married. Mm. He knew that anyway. He got her husband and said, send him to the front line at war, and the rest of you pull back. Let him go ahead and get killed, so he's murdering. So he's guilty of adultery and murder, okay? He's, he's guilty of those things. Now, When you read through the book of Psalms, you read all kinds of things. You read Psalms of Ascent when they're going up to the Jerusalem area. They're going up. They're Psalms of Ascent. They're going up to worship. So you read those songs which elevate God. You also read these Psalms called penitential Psalms, and it's when somebody is praying a prayer of confession. And whenever you read over there in the Psalms about David praying this prayer of confession, now I'm thinking about all the things you and I have done. All those things nobody knows about, all those things in our past, if we, were, if we were outed, we might even do jail time. I don't know. Even if we were outed, we might be thought of differently by other people. I'm thinking about that thing you don't ever want to talk about, that thing that's in your past. I'm talking about that. David goes before God, and, and he starts saying, would you forgive me? 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 That's what he's saying. And you say, prove it. Okay, go to Psalm 51. And you look, there are seven words, I think they're all Hebrew words, that are talked about laundry. Now, how many of you do the laundry at your house? A few of you. And uh, no, a bunch of you. When you get a spot in your clothing, you have to get it out, right? So you're going to shout it out. Or you have that little doodad in your purse or something. Wipe it and hope to get the barbecue sauce out, right? Whatever. Man, I'm hungry. And you start having that, trying to get all that out, right? And you can't get it out, so you wash it, you wash it, you wash it, you wash it, you wash it. Psalm 51, he says, wash me, wash me, wash me, wash me, wash me, wash me. He says it a whole lot of time because he's saying, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Can I tell you something that you probably, somebody in this service, maybe, maybe it was only for first service, but let me echo it to you. Maybe only first service needed this. You, you may not need this. But in case somebody, maybe on this side needs it. Let me just move over here. In case somebody over here needs it. You did something way back. 
You come into church and like a tethered dog to a house, dog on a chain. You run and you start feeling good and we're singing that song about Jesus, shout Jesus, the place was about to blow up, the roof was about to come off, the Holy Spirit's all over this place, everybody knows it, and this place about to go up and be raptured right there in that moment, and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, you hit the end of your leash. God said, this is my son. John says, this is the Lamb of God. When people in the Old Testament brought a lamb before God to be sacrificed in the Old Testament, they brought it before God, even in the New, they bring it. It was given by men, by people, to people. John says this is different. The Lamb of God is given by God to people. And he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And whom this son, Jesus Christ, sets free, is free indeed without any condemnation. No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. So when we die, as we have trusted in him and let him come into our heart and life, when we die, we stand before God. And he says, if he would say it this way, why should I let you into my heaven? We wouldn't say, well, because I went to BWC. You know where that is. Cherryville. I mean, all cool people go there. Jesus was saying, oh, do better than that. Hmm. What would you say? Well, I did some good things. I was good. Yeah, I helped everybody out. I threw a couple bucks in a bucket once. I, I did something nice to an old lady once. I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't do something. Nope. We're all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah said. So what do we do? We come to him and we just say, here I am. And I, I put myself at your mercy. And then he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, does he remember that against us anymore? Your Bible says he does not. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is? No, you do not. That's used as a metaphor to help us understand he doesn't remember them against us anymore. Cast them into the depths of the sea. They cannot be fished out. He forgives us of our sin. And you say, Kev, do you really need that? I'm going to tell you what, I believe somebody in this service needs that. Or one of you watching me right now on that camera, you need this because God loves you. But you're not listening fast enough. Very often in our lives, we think God can transform almost everything in my life, but we think there's something he can't. And it's like that log with that hole drilled in, and then you have the bigger part underneath there, so the opening's smaller. And in Africa, they trap monkeys this way. You've heard it before. But they put beans in there. The monkey will put his fist in, and then he can't, with a fist full of beans, he can't pull his hand out. The trapper can walk up to him and just take him right there without hurting him, without doing anything. If he just let go of the beans and pull his hands out, he'd be free. But he goes in and holds it, and then there he is. And it's, and it's just crazy as can be. And what we do is we just hang on to something, whatever it is, if we're not careful, and we don't let it go. No, nobody in this service, just in the other service a while ago. But I had to throw that in in case. So look at that last thought, and that is this. Jesus gives purpose and heaven to all who will receive him. Jesus gave purpose to Andrew. Andrew brought people to Jesus. Jesus was feeding 5,000 people 
men besides women and children. There were probably, you know, let's just say 15,000, we don't know. But there were at least 5,000 plus all. And so they had this massive crowd. And Jesus says to the disciples, you guys need to feed, you guys need to feed all these people. And in that moment, it was like, what? We can't feed these people. We don't have that kind of resource. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we've got this little boy over here. He's got a couple loaves and a couple fish. And Jesus says, go get him. Do you know who got him? Do you know? Go ahead and say, yes, you know. Andrew. Andrew is a guy who went over and got him. Scripture would tell us in John 6, 8. In John chapter 12, Andrew reaches cross culture and brings the Greek folks to Jesus. This is a message of purpose. He goes and finds his brother and brings him. Andrew never preached a message. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a small group leader to be an influence for Christ. You can influence wherever you are. And then, then he gives purpose to Peter as well. Peter had been a fisherman, but Jesus said, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Speaking in Peter's language so he'd understand. He said, oh, okay. And Peter saw that he really was a fisher of men because in Acts chapter 2, after all that denial, after all the transfiguration, after all of that other stuff, he's standing up with the people and he's saying, hey, this is a Jesus you guys crucified. Hey, 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 he's really the Messiah, the son of the living God. Bah, 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 bah. He goes on and on with powerful message. And 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. That is fishers of men, man. That's getting it on right there. And in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he has this vision, Peter does. He sees these unclean animals come down and he's a Jew and he can't eat that stuff. And God said, do I make anything unclean? He says, ah, if you made, I guess it's not, ah, go, pe- go preach over there to Cornelius and to those Gentiles and tell them about me. And then if you read your New Testament through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through, you're going to read first Peter and second Peter. He wrote that. He's talking to you even today. This is a powerful purpose. And then he says, he gives us heaven. He gives us an incredible future here. Ashley Smith, a number of years ago, was minding her own business, had no clue what was happening in her world around her. And she was going into her apartment and then all of a sudden, Brian Nichols was right there like a really bad nightmare. He came up behind and he forces his way into her apartment with her. And for the next seven hours, she is his hostage. He had shot his way out of the courthouse. You remember that now. If you were alive then, you remember how he shot his way out and he had left carnage and death. And now here she is, two hours into the seven-hour ordeal. She says to him, could I read you something I've been reading? I've got to go to the other room to get it. They've been talking a while. She goes to the other room. He lets her go to the other room. She goes to the other room. She comes back. She opens up. She's been reading from Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. She reads in there how God has created us and how God has a purpose for our life. He said, what's your purpose? She said to him, my purpose is to get you right now to turn yourself in and to not hurt anyone else. And he says, well, what's my purpose? And she says, to go into prison, because that's where you will go. You'll go into prison, and you're supposed to let God show you what he wants you to do if you'll give what's left of your life to him. Everybody has a purpose. Even you have a purpose. The scripture comes up on the screen, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's look at it. Let's read it together. Ready? Let's read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My daughter is a pastor, and she has a story she's gonna share here briefly on a video. Look at this. I wanna tell you about my friend, Joe. So I'm gonna rewind to the summer of 2017. We were in a Bible study, uh, me and his mother, Deb and we were praying for Joe. Joe was very 
lost. And so we were just praying that God would somehow bring him back. He was addicted to heroin. He was uh, living in motels or on the street even, and uh, it was awful. And so we kept praying for him and praying for him. Fast forward to Christmas, and Joe was in a really bad place, rock bottom, and he was going to take his life. But there was another man from our church, Dave Sebeluski, who went to the motel where Joe was, and he offered him some food, and he offered him some counsel, and Joe's life began to change on that Christmas. He got him into a rehab facility, and he was able to get clean, and um, then when he came back to Levittown, he started going to uh, our addictions ministry, and um, he was sitting in the service one night, and you know when the pastor does that thing where they're like, it, does anybody else want to raise their hand? And he was sitting there kind of like starting to sweat, like, I am not going to raise my hand, you know, to accept Christ. And and then um, he just kept, the, the, the minister was relentless and he just kept going and going. And then Joe was sitting there in his seat. He's like, you know what? If he asks again, I'm going to do it. And he did. He gave his life to Jesus that day. And he lost his desire to do drugs. And more than that, he lost his desire to lie. <laughs> he all of a sudden became a horrible liar. Uh, he reignited a passion to reunite his relationship with his daughters that he had lost. And um, he ended up marrying a Christian woman and um, getting healthy in his body. And it all started because of prayer. And I believe that God can change the whosoever believes in him because I saw the transformation in Joe. This gentleman had been shot at. He had shot at others. He was, he, he was not a good dude. He was in jail and all of this stuff in and out for 20 years, but God got a hold of him and he said yes. And I pray that if you are sitting here today and you haven't said yes to him, that today is the day that you'll do that. What if you are Andrew to someone else? What if you are Andrew and you need to go tell them about Jesus? Or what if today you are the person who has come to this service and you say, well, I'm Peter and for the first time I've heard the story. Maybe you want to open your heart right now and receive Christ. Whether you're going to be Andrew and go share the news with someone else or whether you're Peter, I want to pray with you right now. I want to encourage you to open your heart to Christ. And I put my hands out like this. I have received Christ. So I put my hands out like this and I present to Christ the people that I have burdens for. People that I'm wanting to see come to faith in Him. And that's what I want you to do. 
And I want you to either come to Christ if you don't know him or to pray, Lord, let me be Andrew to that person in my life. Just like this Pastor Andrea and this mother were to the friend Joe. Lord, here we are at the end of this service. We thank you because we sense you're in this room so much. We sense that you're doing eternal work that is more real and more important than anything else we'll ever do. Today, someone is confessing their sin and saying, dear God, I am a sinner. I confess my sin to you right now. I invite you into my life. Please come in and forgive me and let me live for you the rest of my life. But Lord, some of us are Andrew. We have found you. And we don't want to be that little kid song where we hide it under a bushel. No, we want to go ahead and let our light shine. So this week, I pray, if we get into a situation that may seem like an interruption in our life, car breaks down, health episode, some kind of interaction with our neighbor, Lord, if it is not an interruption really, but an opportunity, help us to slow down enough to see it and to seize the opportunity to not jam the hook, but to simply present you and to allow you to make the transforming difference. The great forgiveness you offer through your death and resurrection, the great life of purpose you offer through your Holy Spirit and your scriptures, and the great future you give us in heaven of eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.